All right, so we are going to be in Revelation. So if you have the Bible in front of you, all you have to do is open to the very back of the book. And uh, that is where we're going to be in chapter 22, starting at verse 6. Um, I'm, we'll read through that in a second, um, but we, I have a couple opening thoughts uh, before we get to that. So um, Jeff has said many times as we've gone through this scripture, and it's probably made some of us frustrated, uh, that I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure. There's a lot of symbolism. Um, we're, not, we're not exactly sure what some prophecies mean, what's a symbol, what's not a symbol. Um, and and in, in some sense, that's okay. Because that is not what the, the whole doctrine is grounded in, and, and whether or not how you interpret uh, some symbolism and, and, and some things like that. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, hey, for right now, we see through a glass darkly. We don't see things clearly. We think we do, but we don't. Um, and so we don't understand all things, but in due time, we will. Um, so, like I said, I know that is, is, it could frustrate you. I was actually talking to my wife, Doris, and she says, please don't say you don't know. Um, I said, but there are definitely some things I don't know. One thing I can tell you that is true, one, Jesus is alive, and two, he's coming again. Right? So, those are two things that we can tell you uh, he's coming again as king. And, um, and, and the interesting thing is Jeff talks about those several views around reading the book. In fact, Jeff and I have differing views in the book of Revelation. So I take the book of Revelation a little more literal than he does. Um, so we, but we still have a conversation. I tell him he's wrong. He says I'm wrong. We still have a conversation. We both believe that Jesus is alive and he's coming again. Right? So that's the, that's the, important, the important point. Anyone who knows me, I'm much more practical and logical. So I'm like, no, it clearly says this and this and this. Um, and uh, so that's the way I view. But you know what? We don't stake our relationship on it. But we do stake our salvation on the fact that Christ is alive and he's coming again. So don't be frustrated a little bit with the book of Revelation. So um, the other thing that we've talked about is we're not only studying, we're not studying the book of Revelation to understand the prophecies, what's happening exactly, when, how is the earth going to end, well, how is it going to burn up, and all that stuff. That's not really the purpose of it. The purpose of it is how can we confidently live knowing that Christ is coming as king. So we just celebrated Easter, and that is part of the view that Jesus was a suffering servant and that he died and rose again. That is only part of the story. Um, we, a very big part of our story, he came as the, cel- the celebrated Passover lamb, right? We celebrated that week, last week. The conquering king, he did not come as the conquering king that the Jewish people had hoped for. Not as the conquering Messiah, but as a suffering servant. And he died and rose again on the third day. And a lot of times that's where people stop. So Revelation reminds us that don't stop there, not just Jesus, the suffering servant, the Passover lamb who died and rose again, but that he's coming as a conquering king. And his reward is with him, and we'll talk about that today. Um, He's going to bring, he's going to judge rightly and swiftly and bring an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting king. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Last week, or last couple weeks, I think on Palm Sunday, we learned learned the word Hosanna, pray, Lord, come. I mean, sorry, pray, God, save us. So here's, I'm going to give you another word, a Greek word that Paul uses in Corinthians, Maranatha, O Lord, come. Right? So Hosanna is part of the story. God save us. He did. He died. He rose again. Maranatha, the Greek word, is the other part of the story. O Lord, come in glory. 
Okay? So he's coming. And that's one thing that we can know for sure. We don't have to say, I don't know. Jesus is coming as the king. So we're going to answer these questions today. How can we know that he's coming? And I'm going to tell you through the testimony that we have. And we'll talk about that. Um, When and what can we expect? I'm going to unpack the word quickly, which causes a lot of strife uh, for people. And he's going to come with a reward. And then what, what do we do with it? How do we live rightly and come in preparation for this king? So those are the three things that we're going to talk about today. So again, let's go to the end of scripture, the back of the book, not the blank page, but the one that's the very last page. And we're going to read starting in chapter 22, verse 6. And, and he said to me, the words, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, let the filthy still be filthy, let the, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city of the gate, city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who's thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So that's a lot to take in. And there's a word that is used throughout there several times that we're going we're gonna to stick with, and that's going to be the word testimony or testify. Uh, it comes up several, several times. And the other thing I want to tell you is that m- majority of the things that we read in, in verse 6 through the end are also duplicated statements earlier in Revelation. They're also seen earlier throughout Scripture. So a lot of these words and images come from the prophets, from previous testimony about Jesus into the book of Revelation in earlier chapters and then brought up again in this last chapter. So I don't want to lose that point because we've done a whole series on Revelation and you can go back and listen to some of those. So I'm not going to unpack all of those chapters per se, but I wanted to let everyone know that that's that's an important piece to, to think about. But this word testify was used several, several times. So verse 6 and 7, these words are faithful and true. He sent his angels to show. 
John said he heard and saw. Verse 16, sent my angels to testify. 17 and 18, the Holy Spirit and the church testify to this. Verse 20, he who testifies, which is Jesus. The reason this is important, because the word testify here means to give evidence and proof of something as a witness in court. So there's Peter and Paul both make mention in several letters to the epistles say, you have to be prepared to give it evidence for your faith. How do you explain the good news to people? The ability to do that and give evidence. So I want to give two broad evidences that I'm going to, I'm going to weave together here. The one is the prophets, right? So Jesus says, I am evidence as evidenced by the law and the prophets. One of the scriptures uh, some of you may not know, is, is after Jesus rises from the dead, he's on the road to Emmaus, and he's talking to two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus, and he says in there that he spoke all what is true about Jesus from the law and the prophets. So Jesus is, is giving his testimony to them about what the law and the prophets say, and their eyes were opened. All right, so that's a, a little bit of that, that testimony. So here we're going to talk about the prophets, which are referenced in verse 6 and 9, uh, and then we're also going to talk about the evidence of Jesus, where he provides his own evidence in verse 13 and 16. He says, I am the, I am, in verse 13, he says, um, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, right? In verse 16, he says, I am the offspring of David. I'm sorry, I'm the root of David and the descendant of David or offspring of David, the bright morning star. So two evidences that he gives of himself and also the prophet. So I want to unpack this because in light of the fact that we're on the last page in Revelation, you have to know the first page in Genesis, right? In light of where we are in Revelation, you have to understand where Genesis and some of the Old Testament relates uh, to Jesus. And why is that important? Because he says it himself. I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. And we have to understand that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to unpack this word testimony through what I'm going to call the grand narrative, the grand plan of God, so to speak. Now, I am going to reference scripture, but I'm not going to read them all. So I'm just referencing some things that are going to come up. Um, so you can just take this as homework and go and do your own, own study on this. But I, I am going to reference it because it's important to see this combination of the prophets and how they talk about Jesus and support that Jesus is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, that he's the root of David and that he's the offspring of David and the bright morning star because he is testifying to himself, which is the truth, and the angels and the disciples testify to the truth of Jesus, and the prophets testify to the truth of Jesus. So you have there multiple witnesses that would suggest that the beginning, which is the beginning phrase, that this is faithful and true. These words are faithful and true. All right? So this is the grand plan. Some of you may or may not have heard this, this grand overarching plan of creation, fall, redemption, and glorification. Jesus' return as king. We're glorified forever. So this testimony, this is how we know for sure that this testimony is true. So in creation, and Jesus says, again, I am the alpha, I am the first, I am the beginning. How do we know this is true? Again, Genesis 1 and John 1, the Father spoke. John 1 says, in the beginning, Jesus was the Word, and he was with God, and he was God, and he upholds all creation. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the formless earth. 
In Genesis 3, they say, let us make man in our image. And it was good. The perfect man was made. The perfect garden was made. And the perfect relationship with God was made. Okay? So then, right from the beginning, you see that connection of the testimony of Jesus. Then you see the fall. Genesis 3, I will curse the land, toil, but I will have a seed. God says he will put an enmity between you and the woman. And this seed, he will strike your head. You will strike his head, and he will bruise your heel. Genesis 3, man has become like us, a reference to the Godhead. Let's put man out of the garden so he does not eat from the tree of life. So a week ago, we just spoke about the tree of life, right? A week ago or two weeks ago. The tree of life shows up again in Revelation. The tree of life, that eternity, I'm going to live forever, and now we have it showing up again in Revelation, right? So again, you have this fall, and you have cursed and toil and sin and man put out in the garden, and now you have this first sacrifice of God sacrificing animals so that he can cover Adam and Eve, right? To provide covering. And then you have this mosaic, the law that's put into play where we have these laws of sacrifice like the Passover, right? The laws of feasts, the feasts of the first fruits, giving those back to God and the priests and what the priests have to do. All of those are important and come out of the fall. Why? So that you can understand the redemption piece of how Jesus fits in. So I'm just, I'm just lightly going over this grand plan to understand how Jesus creates this testimony with himself and the others that, hey, heed these words, these are faithful and true. Because he ends up being the one who is allowed to come as king, who can come to king, the perfect king, who can be the perfect judge and can rule forever and ever. So now we, get, we have creation, we have fall, now we have redemption. He says, I'm the root of David. So there's two aspects of this that I've, that I've, as I come to understand it, one of that root of David is I am the creator in the beginning, right? And the second is I am also of Jewish descent. Both of those things have to happen from a prophecy standpoint. Genesis and Revelation both call him the Lion of Judah. He comes out of the tribe of Judah. Isaiah says the root of Jesse, he has, God has to come from that Jewish area. It has to be the offspring of David because that's the same line that David was the king of. And Jesus ultimately becomes the right David. So the first David tried to be a good and righteous king and he was very faithful and, and God loved him a lot, but he was not the perfect king that Jesus ends up coming to be. So he's the offspring of David. Micah the prophet says one who's going to come from Bethlehem. In Matthew, you could look at his genealogy and see that he comes from the line of David. Isaiah and David both talk of him as the suffering servant. Right? This is the redemption plan that we just celebrated with Easter. Leviticus, we talk about one of the feasts was the feast of first fruit. Jesus is the first fruit of the dead. He is the first who rises again. So the, listen, I could spend hours unpacking some of these things, but I don't want to do that. Um, but the idea here is this redemption is shown by the prophets that Jesus is that redemption, right? He's the first celebrated the fruit of the dead. He's the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Everything that we just reviewed for Jesus leading up to that point is in that word, Hosanna, God save us, right? Providing the redemption. 
So we have the creation, we can see the forward focus and the testimony of Jesus. From the fall, we can see the need for Jesus. From the redemption, we can see how Jesus fulfills the prophets and the Old Testament and some of the law and the sacrifices. I want to pause here real quick and read a scripture from John 20 while we finish this. John 20, 26 through 29. Now, this was after Jesus rose from the dead. So it would have been a week ago that we celebrated. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. So that would have been, if it was that time frame, it would have been generally tomorrow that this would have happened. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand in place in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. So Jesus is creating witness from John, his disciples, angel, the prophets, and this plan that I'm just trying to, trying to generally lay out for you that, hey, blessed are those who haven't seen but believe, right? Um, this testimony of what those in the past were calling and relating to Jesus and this testimony that Jesus is alive and people put his hands on them and, he touched, and, and they touched him and the evidence, additional evidence, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled up to that point. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus Right? Paul says in Corinthians, not only the disciples, not only Paul, but over 500 people. Right? Extra biblical sources, so Roman and Jewish historians, say that Jesus lived right? and that the body cannot be found. Right? How do we know some of these are right? We have many manuscripts of the Bible that say the almost the not the exact same thing but say the similar thing that adds credibility because you have eyewitnesses with similar testimony not ag, not exact testimony it suggests that there is no corroboration right there's embarrassing details i mean peter is supposed to be this wonderful man but yet he's the one who rose up and chopped off the ear of a roman soldier He's the one who said, Jesus is the Christ, but yet he turned around and Jesus said, get behind me, because I'm paraphrasing, what you just said was really silly, right? So there's embarrassing details about women washing Jesus' feet, Jesus talking with prostitutes. Those were not good details then, but they confirm the authenticity of what's happening. So part of the evidence, and that he was confirmed dead, and that there's an empty tomb. No one's, no one's found a body ever, right? So those, those witnesses up to this point, creation, fall, redemption, this whole testimony leads to Jesus rising again. And now we come to what Peter calls a new birth into our living hope through the resurrection of Christ. That's our living hope. We read about that, or we sing about that too, right? Our blessed hope, our living hope. Peter confidently says, that's the hope we have through the resurrection of Christ and then it comes in a concrete person, a king who comes and reigns again. That brings us to the last piece, the glorification. So Jesus is the alpha and the omega, right? So the alpha starts in creation. The omega ends in revelation, right? It's the last. It's the end. So a couple things. Genesis, he will have an everlasting covenant with Abraham's descendants. 
Samuel and Isaiah, there will be an everlasting kingdom and a throne will be established forever. Psalms, David talks about the perfect Lord and King that will come beyond him. Revelation, Jesus as King returns and you see us having glorified bodies. That's the idea of glorification. This is what Titus says is our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, at the end. So it's not necessarily just Jesus rising from the dead, which is phenomenal, which has made us right with him so that we can start to be sanctified, but he is going to appear again. He appears as the bright morning star, which numbers say it's a star that's going to come forth from Jacob, a scepter that's going to rule. Right, The morning star here, as explained in several passages of Jesus, the bright first star, the brightest light, full of radiance. That's how Jesus' face and his presence is explained. It's the new messianic kingdom. John Wesley says this, it's the brilliant light on darkness of ignorance, sin, sorrow, the cursed ground, and that ushers in an eternal day of light, purity, and joy. Genesis 1, God spoke and there was light. Revelation, Jesus is the bright morning star that's making everything new, right? There was fall, now there's going to be perfection again. Behold, I make all things new, he says. Yes, through his resurrection, also through his coming kingdom and his judgment, right? And he says, at his resurrection and at his return. And that's why we say the word Maranatha, Lord, come. All right, so pause, take a breath. It's a very big piece of the grand story. The idea is that Jesus is providing his own witness. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. Everything that is written speaks of me. It is faithful and true, heeds those words, right? So now if we have the testimony that it's true, right? He says, well, what can we expect? He says, I am coming quickly, So in Revelation, four times it's referred to quickly. So shortly take place. And then Revelation 7, uh, verse 7, verse 12, verse 20, I'm coming quickly. There's four more references to this in Revelations 2 and 3, uh, where we we studied some some, of the letters to the churches. It talks about coming quickly. So there's a couple things that I need to set up here. The last two... sentences in the book of Revelation that refers to Revelation verse 18 and 19 refers to this false prophets. And it says, don't add or take away to the book. Um, don't, mis- don't mistaken me when I say this. I, I, I would think it would be scripturally accurate that you never take away or add from the entirety of the Bible. But as I read this and the reference in verse 7, 10, 18, and 19 in terms of this book, and this prophecy, the general ref- it would generally refer to this book of Revelation that John is writing about, right? Um, and so the idea here is that there's false prophets, and as it says in um, the previous verse, verse 15, um, it says, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. That last piece is generally everyone who loves and practices falsehood, false teachers, Right? So it's more than just those who constantly lie. It's those who are teaching lies and falsehood. Right? We know that this was on the rise because Peter's letters actually confirm this, that falsehood, falsehood and immorality is on the, on the rise in the last days, as well as other passages in Revelation make similar reference 
uh, to this as well. So we know that kind of this immorality, this, this choice of the world that Jeff has talked about, it's not our suffering that's our biggest concern, but really how do we live in the world uh, and how do we accept the world? It's the world that's twisting the facts and the moral fiber and character of how we should live and also twisting the facts of Scripture, right? We, we see this today, and we've talked about it on previous forecast, uh, podcasts. Um, and, uh, but that's the world, the biggest thing we have to be concerned about, right? That, that rise of sin, the, the idolatry, the false teaching, right? So let's talk about quickly here. In verse 10, the phrase is, the time is near. So the interesting thing about this is time here is not chronological as we would know it. Right, so the term that we would usually use for time is chronos, um, but it's really it's it, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's keros. And a lot of the commentaries say there's no English, no English equivalent to this word. It's difficult to decipher. Um, but the idea here is there is an appointed time and season that is right, and that's really the idea that we don't know what that appointed time and season that's right, right. Uh, for Jesus' time to return, to ensure, um, because we know unto Peter that he is slow in returning so that no one will perish, right? So we, we have this view of quickly because we put a minute on the microwave and like it's done, right? So we have this, this view of quickly because um, we've been living here for a long period of time, 2,000 years since Jesus' death, and clearly that's not quickly, Right? And what he's going to do is he's going to come quickly and he's going to bring his reward with him. So I'm going to look at verse 11, 10, 11, and 12 again. So he says, don't seal up the prophecy in verse 10 of this book. Let the evildoers still do evil. Let the filthy be filthy. Let the righteous do right and the holy be holy. Verse 12, I'm coming soon. Right? Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and enter into the gates of the city, outside, verse 15, are the dog sorcerers, sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolatries, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So these things, I think you can kind of, you want to look at some of them together. So he's coming at the appointed time, and he's bringing his reward, and that reward is righteous judgment. That reward is rendering to every man according to what he has done. So that idea there, uh, Isaiah also picks up on that. Um, the Greek word is aragon there, but it's work, performance, accumulated labor as a result of your employment. Who are we employed in? Jesus. He is our employer. We are his bondservant. We are his servant. We are his slave. Those are generally the three words that are used to our relationship in terms of employment with him. And Revelations 2.23 clarifies this. I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give everyone according to your deeds. So kind of the whole package, right? Everything that you have done. So, um, and then he talks about the idea here that blessed are those who wash their robes. So the idea here is that Jesus is coming at an appointed time. I'm going to judge appropriately to everything that we have done. And you have to wash or not wash. You have to be washed in white or you are not washed. You are inside or you are outside, right? There's, there's plenty of references to being in the wedding feast or outside the wedding feast. Washed in the white robe or filthy robes, right? So those are the two things that are coming that we already know Jesus' testimony is faithful and true. Those are the two things that are going to happen. So let's continue to unpack this. His reward is true and right and just. So... 
I'm going to combine a couple things around the time as well as what's going to be happening during that time when Jesus comes back. So, no one, Jesus says in Matthew, no one's going to know the day or the hour. Why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why it's important. Because we've had about 60 prophecies since AD 600 that said they know when Jesus is going to come back. And oh, by the way, we have about three more. One in 2023, another one in 2025, and I think there was one in 2029, if you look it up. Uh, the, uh, but the idea is that no one knows the day and time. But there is a lot out there that says, I know when Jesus is coming. I've unpacked the specific code, I know when Jesus is coming. The unfortunate thing is they're going to be on the outside, as it says at the end of the chapter. They're going to have the plagues put on them. They're not going to be able to enter the city, and they're not going to have the right to the tree of life. So we have to pay attention to that. We can't be swindled by the world and the false prophets about what they're believing. We have to know what the word is saying, right? So he says, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the son, only the father. And this, is a re- this is a similar suggestion to verse 11. He says, it will be, man will be like the days of Noah. For the days of the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying, right? And, and even in... Um, the, uh, in Thessalonians, he says, uh, Paul says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them. So why do I say this? Because in verse 11, it talks about, hey, if they're filthy, let them be filthy. If they're right, let them be right. If they're holy, let them be holy. The idea here is there's going to come an, appoint, an appointed time that we don't know, and people are going to be doing what they're doing, right? And, and that's going to be it. So we won't know that. So we can't expect to know it. The combination, we've heard this, is I will come like a thief in the night, right? None of us know when a thief is going to come. And the other example is labor pains. Did any lady know exactly when they were going to have labor? I still remember the picture of my wife with our first child and having the first sign of labor pains and my first response of, what what do we do, right? We just don't know. And that's the idea is we don't know. And there'll be a time where we're giving and giving in marriage and we're having peace and rejoice and everything is fine. And then they'll come like a thief in the night. So that's the whole idea is you got to be careful of the the false prophets and what they're saying and how to live what living right is, the common, this, this issue of Im, what's immoral and what's not immoral, this idea of we know when Jesus is coming or he's not coming or whatever that is, we have to be aware of that because we don't know Jesus himself said he doesn't know, right? And all we know is that he's coming and he's going to bring his reward, which is right and just, which is you will be in the gates of the city or out of the gates. You will be washed in white or you won't be washed in white. And I know that's hard to swallow, but that's unfortunately the truth. So we don't know when he is coming, but we can still say, Maranatha, oh Lord, come. Right? Come. Again, God wants no one to perish. I think that phrase that I mentioned is, and from 2 Peter, is remember the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. That's the one that says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Now, I generally believe that that's just a symbolism, not an exact count. Um, But the idea, even if it was, even if we did use that, then it was only been two days since since Jesus' death and resurrection. It's been two days for for God, even if that was accurate. For him, it would be two days. For us, it would be 2,000 years. Right? So, um, but generally, the idea is he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. 
So now we have solid testimony over the course of the Bible that's faithful and true, and we have to heed the words, and now we know that that quickly is the appointed right season that he's, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to bring with him his reward. So what, is this, what in the world does this mean for all of us? So I'm pulling from a couple things of Matthew and Revelation to the churches, so you can go back and look at a couple of those. But for all of us, one is in verse 7, Heed the words of this book. So heed the words of Revelation, right? I've showed that testimony start from the beginning to the end. The second is, John says, we have to worship only him, not the angels, right? Or anybody, worship God. Someone tried to worship Peter when Peter was doing miracles. Peter said, no, no, don't, 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 don't worship me. Worship God only. And remember again, idolatry. So that's going to be coming up. As we get closer to Jesus' return, though things of the world and idolatry and the immorality, those things we have to keep in mind, we're not worshiping those things. And then also the seven letters to the seven churches remind us that we have to constantly repent. We have to constantly be turning. So those of you that know Jesus as their Savior have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, we have to constantly say, help me be sanctified more. So we're constantly repenting. Those of us that don't know Jesus, we have to do that for the first time so that we can hear the word and be made right. So as a believer, as we read through this in verse 11, we have to, who, the believer who's already been, has washed their robes white. We are in that group. We're in the in crowd, so to speak. Um, but I, I hesitate to say that, but there's this in and outside the gates. But the idea is that we've washed our robes so we know through verse 11, we have to practice righteousness and keep holy. What does that mean? Well, we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, so how do we continue to be sanctified in our walk, to become more and more like Jesus to the end, until the end? We have to be wary of false prophets in the world that I already talked about. And in Matthew, Matthew 24 and 25, if you want to dig into what Jesus said about the end times, is two very nice parables there that suggest you have to do two things. Be prepared and be faithful. So one of them says, talks about the virgin saying, hey, the, 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 the groomsman is coming. You know, he's coming for the feast. I want to bring my lights. And five of them don't bring their lanterns. And they say, well, I'm not giving you any of my oil. I want to be prepared for his coming. And the five go away to get their oil because they weren't prepared. And guess what? They weren't let back into the wedding feast. That's the exact parable that talks about the end and being prepared to come to the wedding supper of the Lamb, right? And we want to be prepared and be found faithful and trustworthy, right? To be sensible, prudent, and planning. And then there's a call in verse 17 that I love, the spirit and the bride. The bride remembers the church. So the Holy Spirit and the bride say, come, Right? So part of our remembrance as believers is that we have to go out and say, come. There's a good news story here. We have to go say, come, to people who don't know the good news. Come so they can do what? They can do the next thing. They can hear. So those who can hear, they can come. And then those who hear, then they have a chance to come. It's calling out and reminding us as the church that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say, come. So it's a, two, it's a little bit of a dual meeting. Come, Jesus, now. And come so you can know Jesus and wash the robe. So some of us who don't know Jesus, the idea of verse 17 is we hope that you hear. If you hear it, you come. Are you hearing today that you need to be washed? 
by and made right. Are you hearing today that you could hear and then be made right and start to walk in holiness and have the right to the tree of, a, the tree of life, which is eternity, and the gates of the city so that we're coming and having the supper of the lamb together. We're having the dinner together with the lamb. And the last one, he says, those of you who are thirsty, come and take the water without cost. Um, if some, some of you have been in the church, you probably read that and immediately think of the Samaritan woman at the well, right? It's a, it's a parallel view where he says, woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus right now is saying, know me, this is my gift. Ask for a drink. He confirms his testimony through all this and gives us the evidence of the truth and says that whoever asks shall never thirst again. So he's saying to the church, come. Those who hear him, come. Those who are thirsty, come and take a drink. It doesn't cost you anything. Isaiah the prophet says the exact same thing. Come. You don't have any money, buy and eat. Don't worry about it. Come, there's going to be a Savior coming, and that Savior, as we've talked about, is the testament of Christ and Christ coming back. So as I wrap up this series on Revelation, it's really a wrap-up of like this entirety of Scripture, right? Jesus provides testimony that he was there in the beginning, and he's going to be there and again at the end. He has a grand plan, and he's returning. And as we read in a couple places, he has a lot of actions to call. He says, I'm knocking. Open the door. He says, you're thirsty. I have a drink of water. He says, you're filthy. I have a clean white robe. Right? And the reward that comes with us. And the seven churches remind us that we have to be steadfast and overcome and repent and accept the white robe, accept the water to drink. And his words are faithful and true. We have to live expectantly that he's coming again because he doesn't want anyone to perish. That's his patience. We who believe have to live expectantly in that and trusting in that and faithful and true and prudent and prepared. Those of you who may not know, and he's saying, I don't want you to perish. I want to put a new robe on you. I want to give you drink that you have for eternity to quench that thirst, to give you the robe of salvation, quench that thirst of longing, blessed hope. And now we have to remember that not only did Hosanna, Jesus saved, but Maranatha, Lord come, which is the end and the goodness of all things. Amen.